Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. Today we have the story of Marine Corps First Lieutenant Travis Mannion. Travis Mannion is deployed to Iraq for the second time in 2007 and would spend time in Fallujah, so one of the deadliest cities um, for Americans, for Iraqi soldiers, for foreign fighters that are that are coming into Iraq. Fallujah is one of the deadliest areas in Iraq over the last um, you know 15 plus years now. Lieutenant Mannion at the time is serving as an advisor. He's working with the Iraqi 3rd Battalion, 2nd Brigade, 1st Army Division, and he's going to be rolled up under his Marine Corps unit is going to be a military transition team. MITT is usually the abbreviation or MIT um, that comes from the Regimental Combat Team 6, part of the 2nd Marine Expeditionary Force. So he has deployed in the past in a little more standard U.S. military Marine Corps role um and and right now he's been pulled into this transition team so what the heck is a transition team in iraq in 2007 well after the invasion kicked off you saw exclusively american and allied coalition units doing the things going on patrols um clearing and securing objectives it was 100 percent coalition non-Iraqi. Then we, at, at some point, clicks and it changes to where we have to have Iraqi support because they have to start doing this themselves, right? So if they never are able to do these missions themselves, we're never going to leave Iraq. Or at least that's the, the thought. Now, I know we've still done certain missions to this day and, and still have people to a degree in a lot of these countries, but that's the idea. You got to train and work with the people on the ground. We can't have American soldiers running checkpoints in Iraq for, for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. We have to get these Iraqi units stood up. So at a high level, what you would see is American units doing everything for a period of time. And if it were to work out perfectly, you would see the American units sweep out all of the um, large-scale insurgency and, uh, and enemy elements. And then as there is maybe a um, reduction in violence, reduction in enemy activity, you would see the formation of these Iraqi units, police and military units. And, you know, it's hopefully taking form at a time where um, there's a little bit of a gap before the enemy is able to recuperate and come back in and, and start the fight again. Again, we're talking best case, perfect scenario. And then they can work with the American unit and watch the American units on patrol and setting up bases and running checkpoints and, and all of those things and do little training on the side when they're not on patrol, maybe learn from a medic or, or learn how to take care of their weapons or, or prepare um, operations briefs, things like that. And then eventually you start to see the balance shift and it becomes fewer Americans going out and more Iraqis going out and, until you end up with a small group of leaders focused on mentoring the Iraqi leaders, um, either either from a distance or out there on patrol with them. And then at some point in the future, you no longer have Americans on these patrols at all. It's 100% Iraqi-led. So you can see how in a textbook, that's kind of how it lays out. And it makes sense. But 
nothing's ever that clean. And especially in the midst of a major counterinsurgency campaign in Iraq and a sectarian civil war to the book example doesn't fit very well. But that's what we're trying to get to. That's the idea with these transition teams. So the transition team where they fit is going to be in that second to last category I talked about where it's going to be focused very heavily on the leadership within the Iraqi unit. And it varies at which level they're going to focus. But we'll talk about Lieutenant Mannion, and he's at the company and battalion level. So as a lieutenant, another good way to think about it is generally we had a few ranks down mentoring up, which um, I'm not sure how effective that can be in the long haul. I think it might not send a great message to our partners that we're working with, but Mannion would be working with a company and battalion level force. So right at, you know, one to two levels above his grade in the United States military, in the Marine Corps. The military transition teams, well, let me, let me step back again um, to this, this, where this process came from. We did go down a path in Iraq of we've cleared out an area. We've, this entire time we've been training Iraqi units that that started very, very early on. It wasn't like this, this came up and we realized it needed to be something we, we, from the get go, we're standing up and training Iraqi units and, and in Fallujah is a great example that we'll use because that's what we're talking about today. Americans swept through in 2004 and when they left said, we have to put somebody in charge. Now it has to be an Iraqi unit in charge. And they picked this group called the Sunni brigade. Now that was a mistake. That Sunni brigade was uh, very closely tied to many of the insurgents that were fighting from the get-go. And the weapons, the equipment, the heck, the fighters, the leadership, I mean, you blinked and the insurgency absorbed them. Talk about a mistake. I mean, we, we almost made the insurgency stronger doing that. But it makes sense because how the heck are we going to pick the right people to do that? If you, know, you think about an example of you know, a consulting firm coming into your company or somebody coming into your company and wiping out all leadership and running the show for a month. And then at the end of the month saying, we're going to put two, three, four people in charge. Well, they're going to pick those people, but they might not be the right people. They might be the ones that are most, uh, that, that make the best case for themselves. They might be the ones that spend the most time around the boss. They might be the ones that, that bought the boss a gift. They might be the, who knows, but it's just like any other scenario in life when, when there's that selection going on, what are the odds we get it right? Especially in a country that we don't have a lot of experience in. We don't have a lot of knowledge of the local situation on the ground to think that we could pick that correctly. It, it's just not, it's just not super likely. Now, maybe one of those we could get right, but the U S has to make that selection across every city every province in Iraq over and over again. And there's just no way we're going to continually be able to make the right choice and not accidentally pick a guy who just happens to be a warlord or whose brother is an insurgent leader that we didn't know about. It's, it's, of course, we're not going to get that right. So the idea becomes instead of just handing off the city to a, another Sunni brigade and, and losing that to the insurgency, we're going to, be a little slower in our process of handing areas over to the new Iraqi units. So, or under their control. So 
the MIT team, MITT, is, is going to be one of those processes where we're going to hand over an area of control to the Iraqis, but we're going to have these, these leaders, 10 to 15, usually on a MIT team, and they're senior leaders within the U.S. military. So senior enlisted, usually sergeant first class and above, and then you're going to have officers. And they're going to be focused on kind of oversight of the entire organization. And they'll be reporting back up. And in a lot of cases, there's kind of a mirrored chain all the way back up to some level to where the U.S. advisors can report up what's happening on the ground. And that kind of ties in at a few levels up with the Iraqi command. So there's um, checks and balances almost to a degree. But think of it like a, a hyper advanced training program, right? There, there's training still going on out there on the ground. Um, just a, a, to that on the ground is the battlefields of Iraq in 2007. Now is a MIT team now serving on a MIT team is a unique opportunity. It's a unique mission. And, and one of the reasons we saw this take form in Iraq and Afghanistan was the need to do this all across the country in so many places. That's a special forces mission, standing up training, and, and mentoring and advising foreign militaries, that's Army Special Forces. That's their bread and butter. We don't have enough Special Forces to do that all across Iraq. We've never had enough, to, don't have enough to do that. That's a highly trained job. That's really important, really hard to do. So at some point, the decision was made, I mean, rightfully so, we're going to start putting conventional troops into this role to do this thing, this transition team, these, these, these unit advisors. And we went the full breadth. There's today, there's specific units stood up designed to do that, where they go through substantial training um, across the United States. And their, their, their unit's job is to deploy and train foreign militaries. At the very start of this campaign, there was a little more um, picking who wants to volunteer to do this thing. And you wouldn't necessarily get any more training. Lieutenant Mannion is a little towards that first part where he would have just been grabbed because he grabbed selected or maybe volunteered because he he was a, he was good at what he did and you're trying to pick quality leaders to put into these organizations now they, they might not have all of the language skills or, or training foreign military skills that we try to instill later on but nonetheless it's 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 you still are picking the best that you can and that's i think the camp that that lieutenant Mannion fell into right there in 2007 2006 2007 so is a MIT team more or less dangerous than another deployment to Iraq? It, it, it might be more dangerous. And the reason for that is you're not rolling out with a platoon of Marines. You've got a small element, three, eight, in or around that number, maybe 15 max. It's not the 40 that normally a, lieutenant, a Marine lieutenant would roll out with. So the firepower isn't there. The We try to stack the support to where it's still available, but it's just not the same. You're not... You're not rolling out with your crew. You're rolling out with your new crew, and that's that crew is Iraqi. So a different set of challenges and a pretty impressive ask of Lieutenant Mannion in Fallujah in 2007. On April 29th of that year, he steps out on a patrol into Fallujah with a few other Marines and with his uh, Iraqi unit that he's training. They're moving through the streets of Fallujah. There are some vehicles and then troops on foot kind of patrolling alongside the vehicles. The vehicles are there more just for support. Urban environment, people everywhere, a lot of places to hide. And out of nowhere, rifle shot rings out and a sniper hits. A sniper takes a shot, 
hits a corpsman, so a medic, a, a, a Navy sailor attached to the Marines as a medic, hit, severely wounded, and falls. It's hard to find out where the fire came from when there's this many people around. Lieutenant Mannion quickly runs forward, not knowing where the next shot could come from, not knowing what, what risk there is to understanding the risk to himself, of course, at any moment another shot could ring out and hit him, grabs the medic, pulls him to cover. Very shortly thereafter, a second Marine is hit by this sniper again. Once more, Lieutenant Mannion rushes out from behind cover, grabs the wounded Marine, pulls him back behind cover as well. As this starts to unfold, the Iraqis that they're working with, which makes up a little bit larger portion of the element, rolls, takes off to try to maneuver around where the, the sniper is likely located. So essentially, they're going to try to come at him from from two directions. We're going to come back to the Iraqis here in a second. And and right about the time the second Marine is hit, an ambush opens up. So it it turns out that this wasn't one sniper firing at the units. It was the start of a complex ambush. And they're going to start hitting them from multiple directions. And as the Iraqis leave, it opens up a leave. They're maneuvering to assist. They're just going to leave this exact scene. As they roll out, insurgents open fire from three directions on Lieutenant Mannion and his men and the wounded Marines that they're trying to tend to. As the Iraqis are moving around the side, they hit an IED and it disables their vehicle and, and ties them down. They're no longer going to be able to get to the enemy sniper, which means that Lieutenant Mannion and his Marines are now in the kill zone of this ambush without a quick solution of the Iraqis going around and, and taking out that sniper. Now they've, they've put in a call to the quick reaction force, but that could be a ways away. You never know how long that's going to take. Shortly after the Iraqi unit is hit with the IED and, and is not, and they realize they're not going to be able to get around to the sniper. Um, insurgents start appearing in the rooftops overhead. So now you've got fire coming from, I want to say, how about three plus directions? What do you do when you have to factor in straight overhead? Is that four directions um, or just just hell? There's fire raining down from everywhere. Effective, accurate, machine gun and small arms fire coming from just about every direction. Now, there are two Marines that are critically wounded and are unable to move, really move on their own. The concern is that the insurgents can move in their position, try to overrun the, the small American force, or move on the rooftops to where they can fire directly down in and, and, and kill the wounded Marines that can't move. So Lieutenant Mannion, without regard for his own life, takes off running from position to position around the street, moving from one firing point to another, engaging enemy fighters the whole time. To, by doing this, what he's, he's doing two things. He's suppressing the enemy positions, whether or not he's hitting them by, by fire coming near their position, they're putting their heads down and they're stopping firing. And they're also focusing on this guy who's moving all over the street, providing a more challenging target, um, certainly laying effective fire into their position. He's drawing fire. That's what it's called. He's drawing fire away from the wounded Marines. So they have time to find better cover. They have time to get treated. And he's taking the focus off of those that can't afford to have the focus on them right now. As he's moving around, laying fire into the enemy positions, He's hit by an enemy sniper bullet and killed. Shortly thereafter, having held back the enemy attack, 
just long enough. The quick reaction force, Marine quick reaction force would arrive on scene to reinforce the American units already there and the Iraqi units tied up with the IED. Now, for his actions that day, placing himself in harm's way to draw fire away from the wounded Marines and in turn sacrificing his life, First Lieutenant Travis Mannion would posthumously be awarded the Silver Star. Now, as an end point here, something I'll add is that if you have a chance, take a, take a look at something called the Travis Mannion Foundation. It's something his family and friends set up after he passed. And, and there's a, it's a great mission. I'll put a link in the, put a link in the uh, notes here. But it's a great testament to the type of person he was and what he was trying to do. There's a story about how before he deployed, he, he said something along the lines of, if not me, then who? And it's, uh, it's an organization set up in his name, set to work with and help veterans and, and families of, of fallen service members. So take a look at that if you get a chance. But So for today, story of Marine First Lieutenant Travis Mannion, killed in Iraq, April 29th, 2007. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.